Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the sixth Sunday of Easter, May 9th, 2021, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the New Testament lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 48. can be found on page 1710 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 48. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout the Old Testament, and all of Scripture really, God had a plan. God graciously chose one man and then his descendants to publish the message of his grace and mercy in all the world. That man was Abraham, and his descendants now we know as the Hebrews, or more commonly as the Jews, and they were to be lights in the wilderness for all peoples. But something changed almost immediately, although it was initially subtle. But by the end, by the time we get to Acts chapter 10, it was quite pronounced. The Jews, chosen by God to deliver the good news of his loving kindness and of his mercy, did not deliver that message to the nations of the world. Rather, they frequently and often used their identities as God's chosen people as a matter of pride and exclusivity. 
They adopted an us-versus-them mentality with the nations surrounding them. This, in time, morphed and corrupted even further into a staunch refusal to confess or even identify their own sins as they lived secure in the knowledge that they were the people of God. And so God, saddened by their pride and conceit, sent messengers to try to correct this course. The prophets came, identifying sin and rebuking the Jews for it. And the Jews rebelled, first refusing to listen, and oftentimes even killing the messenger, literally speaking. And so God acted in history to punish his chosen people. It started with plagues and famines and pestilence, but with no change, it ended with exile. The northern kingdom of Israel was practically wiped off the map by Assyria, never to be reestablished again because of their idolatry. The southern kingdom of Judah was carried off by Nebuchadnezzar into exile in Babylon, returning several decades later. And while this indeed had a humbling effect, it didn't really change the Jews' perspective when it came to the nations around them. You might even say they were more insular and internal than ever before. As the years turned into decades and then centuries, Jesus finally arrived on the scene. And as he proclaimed and personified the message of God's loving kindness and mercy, it became clear by God's providence that Jesus' own people, by blood, were still going to reject this message. It has always been interesting to me that the most famous verse of the Bible, John 3.16, identifies God's plan to save the world. But that Nicodemus doesn't even bat an eye at that message. He doesn't even hear it when Jesus preaches to him. It's the water part of the whole thing that confuses Nicodemus, not the world. This attitude of exclusivity by the Jews is ironically preached against by the leaders themselves as Jesus is crucified. We have no king but Caesar, they cry, as the king of the Jews hangs from a cross. And at Jesus' own death, it takes a Roman centurion to accurately identify who he was. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Even after Jesus' resurrection, the people of God, the Jews who had believed in Jesus, his own disciples, are still getting the plan of God incorrect. In what I label as the greatest facepalm moment in all of Scripture, Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, has to deal one last time with his disciples' ignorance as they lean in to their Lord and Savior and say, Jesus, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And it's hard for me not to see Jesus going, for three years, they didn't get it. For three years, he preached about the light and the grace and goodness of God and still, his disciples at this point are obsessed with the kingdom of Israel. 
Jesus responds, It is not for you to know times or seasons the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. There it is again, that message. And even this, Jesus' last words before he ascends into heaven, fall on deaf ears. It appears that at least some of the apostles believed that these words, the ends of the earth, were fulfilled at Pentecost, and they were to a degree, as Jews from all nations were gathered in Jerusalem to hear Peter's gospel sermon. But all this was a long way to go for us to get to the punchline, which is the first sentence of our New Testament lesson this morning. All of this cluelessness and missing the mark and outright rejection by God's people finds its resolution in Acts 10, 34. Peter is absolutely stunned when the Gentiles hear his message and as he observes them believing the gospel and receiving the Holy Spirit. And he utters these words, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. It took several miracles done by God in the presence of his hand-picked messengers to get here. But here's the thing. Each one of us this morning are heirs of that verse. We are here because of God's faithfulness to carry his word to the nations. We are here right now because we are heirs of the book of Acts. And so turning our attention back to Peter and what he says to these Gentiles, we see first that we are heirs of the preaching of God's word. Peter begins his message to these Gentiles who are new converts to Christianity by talking about the word God sent to Israel. And even as he preaches, you can hear his understanding grow. God preached through the Jews, but the message was for everyone. And that means that right here and right now, the message is for you. That is the entire reason we do what we do in the way we do it. That, in fact, is the entire reason you are here right now. The value of God's Word, the Scriptures, the Bible, is immeasurable. And for the faithful church throughout the ages, it is central to who we are. But think about how foreign that must sound to people who don't receive or don't believe the message. God, at various times and in various places, spoke supernaturally to his people, the Jews. And he did so over the course of not days or months or even years, but centuries. He did so through multiple messengers, beginning with Moses in the book of Genesis and ending with the apostle John in the book of Revelation. Honestly, it's no wonder people have a hard time grasping how Christians can confess the doctrine of inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture. 
We will confess that the pages of Scripture have no errors. And in fact, Scripture cannot and does not err because it is the Word of God. And for those who don't believe, it boggles the mind. How could this Word have not been corrupted as it was transmitted through history? But that's just the point. It wasn't corrupted. We actually have physical, archaeological, and even mathematical evidence of that very fact. We know now, beyond the shadow of the doubt, that both books in the Old Testament and in the New Testament are essentially unchanged throughout authorship from their history. If you really want to get down into the nitty-gritty details, the entire New Testament, from Matthew through Revelation, mathematically speaking, has a distortion rate of one-fifth of one percent. means one out of every thousand words we are unsure from the historical record if they were originally written. If you look through your Bible, you'll find each and every one of them footnoted. Not one of them affects the doctrine of the teaching of the church, Not one of them affects the message of salvation. But beyond that, we have the actual word in which God himself promises that it will do its job, that it is faithful to deliver its promises. And that word is for you. We are not only free, but also commanded to study it to hear its message and internalize it as if it was given directly to us. Because each and every Sunday, it is. Because each and every day, when you open it up for your devotions, it is. When we study the books, we can learn from their historical context. We can understand the tone of the message that was given to the original audience. But in the end... It is a message that is for you. That is why we study Scripture, and that is why I proclaim it from this pulpit every Sunday. It is a message for you about God's Son and His plan to save you. We are also then heirs of the completed work of Jesus Christ. It should be no surprise to us that Peter gets to the good news about Jesus. He's incredibly good at it in the book of Acts. It's a glorious and established pattern that Peter stands up to preach and he points to the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. But this too, the life and work of Jesus is for you. Again, think about that. For those of you sitting here today in South Minneapolis in the state of Minnesota, in the year 2021. Jesus' death and resurrection are for you specifically. What Jesus did in coming, and in living, and in preaching, and in healing, and in working miracles, what Jesus did in being arrested, and tried, and beaten, and mocked, and spat upon, and what Jesus did in being nailed to a cross, dying, being buried, and rising again, Jesus did for the entire world at all times and in all places. That means he did it for you. The blood Jesus shed 
was for you. So you didn't have to shed your own blood. The suffering Jesus experienced was for you. So you didn't have to suffer for your own sins. The death Jesus died was for you. So that you didn't have to experience the just consequences of your rebellion. And now Jesus' resurrection and his ruling and reigning at the right hand of God, that's for you too. It's all for you, and it's all from God's gracious hand of mercy and his character of loving kindness. And finally, we are heirs of the Holy Spirit and all of his gifts. As Peter finishes his message to those Gentile believers, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And as weird as it sounds to say it in this way, it must be done. The natural response of the people who come to faith in Christ through the preaching of God's word is to do exactly what these people did. Not to speak in tongues, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is where we need to make a distinction. The message of Scripture is for you, but it is not about you. In much the same way the Jews of the Old Testament got it wrong, the church of today also gets this wrong. We want to make the response of the Gentiles here being filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that they supernaturally speak in tongues, we want to make that the definitive Christian experience that demonstrates we are extra special, extraordinary, committed Christians to God and His cause. But that's not the point here. All you have to do is go back to Acts chapter 2, to Peter's Pentecost sermon once again. It wasn't the speaking in tongues that was the miracle in focus. The miracle in focus is the granting of faith by the Holy Spirit to those who hear the gospel. And so Peter proclaims, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The miracle I and all of the church is looking for every Sunday isn't for someone to get up in the middle of the service, shake their hands around, and start speaking French. That would be weird. The miracle I and the entire church is looking for is your faith. That's the miracle. The miracle that you, who were dead in your trespasses and sins, completely having turned your back on the God of the universe, incapable to obey him at any point, the miracle that you would come to faith in him and receive forgiveness of sins because of Jesus Christ is the definitive miracle of the church. And you all are heirs of that miracle here in Acts. 
You have those gifts. You have that spirit. Every time you open the Word of God, every time you hear the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is carrying it to your ears and to your hearts that you might believe. You have the sacraments to assure you of your salvation. You have the church itself, the communion of all believers to encourage you and sustain you that you are not alone. And I think that last part is what we in America miss so often. Yes, the church has for 500 years been fighting about the sacraments. But what we miss in the church today is that we have become so fiercely independent about our faith. What is most often missed about passages like this in Acts, where a group of believers come to faith, is that you might have a personal faith. It should impact your life at every stage. But you do not have a private, individual, and unique faith. The faith you possess this morning, trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all your sins, is the faith of the disciples, and it is the faith of the prophets who went before them, it is the faith of the reformers, and it is the faith of every single Christian whose name we have forgotten through the passage of time. You are a part of a church that is united by faith. A faith that was delivered once for all because of a Savior through a Spirit carrying a word to your heart. You individually and all of us together are heirs of the book of Acts. We are the heirs of the work of the apostles in spreading the gospel. We are the heirs of the completed work of Jesus Christ We are the heirs of his Holy Spirit and of the Spirit's gifts. And that means we are all part of this personally, yes, but together with each other. Our congregation exists exactly because of what happened in Acts chapter 10. Whether Jew or Gentile, Norwegian or German or Swede or French, Minnesotan, North or South Dakota, and even Iowan, We can say that we're together with this because of the gospel proclaimed to all people at all times. We have one last thing in common. Like those who heard the word 2,000 years ago, you here this morning are also a sinner. So is the person to your right and the person to your left and the person in front of you, and the person behind you, and the person in this pulpit. But like every one of those sinners, and all of the sinners throughout time, you have a Savior. And together, as this church, we receive the message of our forgiveness. We repent of our sins together, as we have already done We confess our faith together as we have already done. We hear the gospel together as we have already done. And we are saved together. 
And then, as we leave this place, we don't internalize the message. We don't keep it to ourselves. We go out and we love our neighbors. It is not necessary for you to take this message and set up a soapbox in Lake Harriet and start to preach immediately this afternoon. Although if you're called to, you should do it. You carry this message of salvation with you as you go out and you love the neighbors God has put in your life. As you love them sacrificially. As you reach out to them in your vocations and provide for them. Or rather God provides through you for them. And as they receive your love, they will be drawn by the light of the Spirit to the gospel. And whether you or someone else have an opportunity to share and proclaim the gospel, that is where we are all in it together. That is where we work together as the church. Our salvation informing our love for our neighbors. Jesus Christ has died for us. Jesus Christ has died for them. Jesus Christ has risen for us. Jesus Christ has risen for them. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.